This podcast is brought to you by Bet Rivers. Download the Bet Rivers app from the App Store or Google Play Store. Must be 21. Available in Ohio only. Void where prohibited. Terms and conditions apply. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Sports gaming is provided in partnership with Dayton Real Estate Ventures, LLC, DBA, Hollywood Gaming at Dayton Raceway. Let's go to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on the Bet Rivers Network. We're talking with the great Terry Francona. I know everybody poo-poos baseball fights. They're like, hey, you go out there and everybody's just talking yeah. and shoving. But when you get out there, man, those guys are big. They they get after yeah. it. And when they get after it, man, look out. It makes you a little nervous. Robin Ventura still won't talk about Nolan Ryan to, to this day. <laughs> he wants nothing with that conversation. Listen to the bullpen with Adam the Bull on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider. You're listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. I've been telling anybody who will listen, if you want to fix the Arizona Cardinals, you go out and get yourself a Monte Asenfort to be the general manager and buy all the groceries for the next headmaster. And that's exactly what Team Bidwell did yesterday. Monty, your table is ready and it's your turn, sir. I'm Danny Mack and I'm just being a colossal goof. I had no idea who Monty was until this morning, actually, when I learned of the Arizona Cardinals hiring him. Thank you for those of you who are subscribers to the Danny Mac podcast for being back with me today. As you know, I do the show Monday mornings following NFL activity. I was in the emergency room overnight. I waited until the Bengals tucked the Ravens into bed Sunday night, and then with the suspicion of having a hernial strangulation uh, with intense abdominal pain. And I diagnosed 18 months ago with three hernias, the traditional ones, and also the belly button hernia. I read all about what a hernial strangulation can do in terms of um, obstructing the bowel and causing you to go septic if it goes for too long undetected. And I had all of those symptoms. On Sunday, I managed to grind out the afternoon and watch all the football and enjoy myself, but all the while kind of grimacing and and holding my groinal region, much to the dismay of my uh, college roommate, Frankie Sartini, who came over to watch football with me. But uh, nonetheless, everything checked out okay. Great job by everybody at the the hospital. I'm lucky. I hear so many people complain about the medical care they get whenever they use Uh, urgent care or emergency services at a regular hospital. I have been so lucky to have good people whenever I've needed help. Fortunately, CT scans were clean. Um, The the, the ER doctor gave me a big dose. Well, it wasn't a big dose. It was, I think they said four milligrams of, of morphine. So I would not feel any pain when he pressed down on the muscle down near my private area to pop that muscle back into place. I had fallen asleep actually, before he got the work done. Usually when a man's hand is near my nether regions, I'm very attuned to what's happening. I'm nervous about that, but I was so sedated. I fell asleep, woke up, Noticed the swelling was gone and the fluid had released and the pain had dissipated. So 
uh, got to the hospital, I don't know, around 11 o'clock Sunday night and got home at around 8 o'clock yesterday morning. So thank you for your patience and for coming back today. I don't have as long of a show as I typically would do because now Saturday's games feel like ancient history. But I want to start you where we should begin, and that's last night's blowout victory by the Cowboys, 31-14 to over the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I got to eat this one. I've got to do a mea culpa, and I'm happy to do that because Dak Prescott is is a guy who I have found easy to root for throughout his career. I just haven't believed in him. I described him recently a couple times as wobbly. He was anything but that last night. And my final play of the weekend, even though I only made a lunch money play on the Buccaneers, it bellies up because they didn't show defensively as bad as offensively, as bad as the Buccaneers were when they had the football, they were worse on the other side of it. And I'm not trying to discredit Prescott and the Cowboys for what they accomplished. They did a great job. They own the line of scrimmage. But some of that at some point has got to go on Tampa. Take the damn ball away. They didn't force a turnover all night. They only got to Prescott once. They gave up huge chunk plays. The Cowboys were 53% successful on third down. And when leading 14 to nothing, how about that fourth down conversion? called by Kellen Moore, the Casey Affleck-looking head coach who's always rumored to be taking a job and seems to be attached at the hip to Mike McCarthy. Man, that naked bootleg Prescott ran in was sweet. He passes for four touchdowns and runs for another. The only blemish on the Cowboys' night was their place kicker, Brett Maher, who missed four PATs, as you know, and... I I don't know how you throw him out there again next week. When you go to San Francisco, I'll be surprised if the Cowboys don't make some sort of announcement today, and and maybe they're going to stand by their man. They did after the game last night. Everybody says they believe in Marr. I think I'd rather have Bill Marr than Brett Marr at this point doing the kicking for me, but it is a convincing win for Jerry Jones's Cowboys. And when the Cowboys are in the national spotlight, it's good for the league because people have one of two emotions for Dallas. They either love them or they love to see them lose. I'm on the back end usually, but I always find Jones to be fascinating. And he talked about guarded optimism going to San Francisco for a date with the favored 49ers. I'll get you those lines and talk about who I like going in a divisional round play in just a little bit. But the Cowboys won on the road in the postseason for the first time in more than 30 years last night. The 92 NFC Championship game was the last time Dallas had gone on the road and posted a victory in the playoffs. That was the conference title that put the Cowboys in a Super Bowl, the first of three they would win under Jimmy Johnson. Who was the defensive coordinator when Dallas won that 92 NFC Championship game? It was Dave Wanstead. And who was the Bears head coach the last time they won a playoff game on the road? It was Dave Wanstead. That was New Year's Day of 95 when the Bears went to the Metrodome as an underdog and came home victorious, a win over the Vikings. The game was broadcast on CBS. This is before Fox had acquired the rights to NFC games, and I remember John Madden 
um, who I liked most of the time, but especially when I think of the guys who are doing it today and are considered ones and twos by their network. But Madden in that game acted like he had discovered Bears running back Raymond Harris. Those of us who've been paying attention all year knew exactly who the ultra back was, but Madden was uh, unveiling him to a nation at the time. Cowboys went on the road, not used to seeing Dallas have success in the postseason. And this is this is all on Dak Prescott. This was his game, man. He was terrific. 25 out of 33 for 305 yards. Almost every ball he threw in the first half was just zipped in with perfection, right on the money. Getting his tight end, Dalton Schultz, involved in a big way, seven catches for 95 yards and a couple of touchdowns. CeeDee Lamb and Michael Gallup also had a touchdown in a supporting role. As far as the running game went, I think it's great for Dallas. They have Tony Pollard back because he clearly is the guy. And he was last night, even though he didn't he didn't get in the end zone. Pollard had 15 rushes for 77 yards, an average of 5.1 yards per carry. But a lot of that was was chewing up clock late when the Cowboys were just ready to go home. Ezekiel Elliott, very pedestrian, like he has been much of this season. 13 carries for 27 yards, an average of only 2.1 yards per carry. It's Dak Prescott and it's Dalton Schultz and the rest of the receiving core for the Cowboys who were making the difference from start to finish. Leonard Fournette, I don't know what happened to this guy in Tampa. He he has looked heavy to me all season. And last night, he only had six touches. It wasn't so out of hand where he shouldn't have had an opportunity to have more than five carries on the night. But the, the, the Buccaneers don't get him involved very much, and they put it all on Brady, who threw a ridiculous 66 passes last night. 351 yards on 35 completions, but a real bad pick, a red zone pick for Brady. And I almost fell out of my chair when I learned last night when Joe Buck mentioned that's the first red zone interception Brady has thrown since he was a Patriot. How in the world does a guy go three full seasons and healthy for most of them while a Buccaneer including a deep postseason run his first time through. They won the freaking Super Bowl and not throw a red zone interception. How does that happen? He's the greatest of all time. And when they trailed at the half, what was it, 18 to nothing, I think, was the halftime score. I, I'm thinking, man, there was a time when Brady and his team went to the locker room in Super Bowl 51, trailing by 18, 21 to 3 against the Atlanta Falcons. And I felt that night, if there's anybody who's going to rally his team from an 18-point deficit in the second half, it's Brady. Yeah, last night didn't feel that way because Tampa had no life. They have a lot of big names on that defense, and they sucked the big one last night. They didn't get get to the ball. They didn't get to press, uh, Prescott. There, were, there was a lot of run after the catch for the Cowboys. And in coverage, Tampa Bay had a really, really bad night. I will pay homage to one Buccaneer, however, who went above and beyond last night, Luke Jensen, the center. It was his first game this season. 
he's not a household name, but he's one of the best at his position in professional football. Big number 66, the redhead, blew out his knee completely in training camp. He blew out his ACL, his PCL, and MCL. If it had an L at the end of it, he blew it out. He did not have the surgery. He elected to try and let it heal naturally with time. And here he was just four months or so after the fact, a little bit more than four months later, trying to make a difference. And he played with the brace on the left knee. I watched him several series consecutively every snap, and he seemed to be moving pretty well. He didn't seem like he was struggling terribly to be comfortable out there. I give him a lot of credit for doing that. That is incredible to come back from those injuries. I mean, geez, if you could just walk comfortably four months after doing that, because I had an injury where all of my L's got ripped up too back in 1991, and I did have the surgery. And it's it's a long road to recovery. One of the most incredible feats I've ever thought. This doesn't get discussed enough. And maybe it's because Adrian Peterson, the former Viking star, sullied his reputation by giving his kid the same type of discipline he received when he was a youngster, and that is the switch. That's not acceptable in today's society. I don't want to get into that. But Peterson, less than a year after having his knee reconstructed, was within eight yards of breaking Eric Dickerson's single-season rushing record. He blows out his knee after the year, and he gets surgery, and he comes back the next season and rushes for almost 2,100 yards. That is one of the most incredible accomplishments in NFL history. I don't care what anybody says about Peterson away from football, and it was was football tragic to see how it concluded for this guy One of the greats of all time, even though he doesn't get that verbiage thrown around very often. And I think that's wrong. I think he is one of the greats. He's one of the most punishing running backs, especially in the modern era. This dude was a physical player. That's just incredible what he did several years back, coming within... uh, In yards, I think eight yards away of Dickerson's 2103. Just a crazy, crazy, gutty performance. And it deserves to be applauded. There's no question about it. Just a bad night for Tampa. The next few weeks are going to be full of discussion about where Tom Brady winds up in 2023. I don't care. I don't have a dog in this fight. If he winds up reuniting with his former assistant coach in in New England, if he winds up going to the Raiders, that would make sense. I I know my producer, Sam Michael, doesn't want to see that because he's just fine with the Raiders being mired in mediocrity. He doesn't, even though Brady may be done, he he would have loved to see Derek Carr. He's a Chiefs fan, this Sam. And he hopes the, the Chargers retain... Brandon Staley, who's always going to wind up screwing his own team, isn't he? I, I They have not made an announcement as of yet on the future of Staley. I guess that means several days after his team pissed away a 27-point lead in a playoff game on the road, he's going to retain his job. But that would be a, a – I, I don't know how Chargers fans – 
would feel about that. I know I would not be. He coached him out of the playoffs last year, and he fell asleep on a huge lead this past weekend. Let me go over just a few of the key points uh, I want to make from this weekend's super wild card play. First up, we had San Francisco, which trailed the Seahawks at the half, 17-16, to 16, if I remember right was the score when the teams went into the locker rooms. But the uh, the youngster Brock Purdy, Mr. Irrelevant, was terrific again, and the 49ers got a little bit more physical in the second half. They got to Geno Smith more. Geno had a really nice game and a fantastic season. He is a free agent, by the way. But the 49ers were just too much, and you know who was a huge part of it? It was Debo. I watch Debo every week. This is the best he has looked this year. He's had several nagging injuries, including an ankle, but I I can't remember seeing him look that much, that fresh and have that much jump in his step as he did in the Niners 41 to 23 win over the Seahawks to get us started on Saturday late afternoon. One of my few winners over the weekend. I, I lost more than I won. And I was on the wrong end last night, too, because of that wobbly Dak Prescott. That's, that's He's wobbly. God, the guy was unbeatable last night. He was zipping it all over the place. Jacksonville 31, the Chargers 30. A 27-point deficit erased. I had the Jaguars winning this game, but I didn't get down on it. I didn't trust it enough because of all the firepower the Chargers have. But, man, they just can't stop Trevor Lawrence in the second half of that game. The Chargers' defense, with all of its big names, Khalil Mack, who was a rumor in the second half, along with a lot of other big-name Charger defenders, and they wind up squandering a huge lead. The Jaguars, winners of the AFC South by way of their Week 18 victory against the Titans, Move on. They are going to the divisional round after their 31 to 30 win. Buffalo and Miami was a much tighter game than anybody was expecting. I don't lay 14 points or 13 and a half points in a playoff game, especially when it's a divisional opponent. But I didn't trust Skylar Thompson enough to take the Dolphins. And of course, I wish I would have. They trailed only 20-17 to 17 at the half. And the biggest reason they kept hanging around was Josh Allen. He put his team in harm's way Sunday regularly in this thing. A couple of bad picks again, which he's been prone to do this year. This was your MVP favorite going into the season. And he has not played at the same level of Patrick Mahomes and several other quarterbacks who have, have just been lighting it up of late, including Brock Purdy. Wasn't the case for Trevor Lawrence, who threw four interceptions in the first half of the Jaguars win. But, man, if the Bills are going to represent the AFC, Allen has got to play better. And starting this weekend, because that's a team that will, if you give the Bengals a chance, they'll rip your throats out. They are an offensive juggernaut, and they didn't really show that over the weekend. I'll get to them after I get to our second game from Sunday, and that's the Dolphins. I'm sorry, the Giants going to Minnesota 
and winning a football game against the slightly favored Vikings. Most of us didn't respect Minnesota at 13 and four, the least respected 13 win team I can remember ever talking about in my time as a football fan, media person. The most surprising performance of the weekend for me came in this game. It was Daniel Jones. He was as effective as a runner as he was a passer. I, I've, I've come to give this guy his respect. He also is a free agent, by the way. But he was he was fantastic in this game. They didn't get to him. But what, three times I think they sacked him? He, he's very fast. We knew that. He's very good on his feet. But this is the player Bears fans hope their quarterback can develop into as a passer. He he averaged 7.6 yards per pass, uh, 24 out of 35 for 301 yards, didn't throw a pick, two touchdown passes, and it's not like the Giants have a bunch of studs at wideout. Isaiah Hodgins and Darius Slayton were, were one and two in receiving yards. Hodgins with 105 yards and a touchdown. But the Giants get it done under Brian Dable. I thought they were running out of gas. I thought, you know, the Vikings, they looked a lot better offensively in their, the last time I saw because they were playing the Bears. And I made a mistake I said I wasn't going to do. I bet the damn Vikings. I don't have to worry about that anymore because they're done. Cincinnati gets by Baltimore 24 to 17 Baltimore with no Lamar Jackson. And there is a ton of talk in Baltimore right now about what in the world the Ravens are going to do with their just a few years ago, MVP quarterback. That would be a real tough call for me if I were the one pulling the trigger because I don't think he's the type of player who merits these $150-plus contracts that are guaranteed. How is the young – now, I don't want to compare him to Russell Wilson, who's an old man at this point, but that's $165 million guaranteed in Denver. Look at somebody who's younger like Kyler Murray, who got the big money from Arizona. How do the Cardinals feel about that? How's Monty Ossenfort feeling about that? Um, you know, Jared Goff didn't prove early after the Rams gave him a big contract that he was worth that type of money. And Lamar Jackson's success is predicated mostly on his ability to run the football. Those guys don't last real long in the league. And there were a lot of guys on that Ravens team, even though they have supported him publicly since they went down to the Bengals in Cincinnati Saturday night, or Sunday night, people saying, we got to have him back. He's our guy. There are, there's grumbling in that Ravens locker room that he should have been on the field and he should have been on the field long before the playoffs, that he was milking it, that he wasn't trying to play. Now he came out before the weekend and said he would love to be out there. He's done everything in his power to try to get back on the field. But there have been grumblings in Ravensville, and I've never been to Ravensville. I've been to Baltimore, but not a town called Ravensville, that some players not happy with how he treated his return. Eager to see what they do 
about Lamar Jackson. There are some big names up for deals this year. Lamar Jackson's deal is that they might wind up franchising him. Boy, that'll put him in a great mood, wouldn't it? And while it sounds like a good deal, depending on your position, it's not. If you play wide receiver or running back, you don't want to deal with a with a one-year contract that gives you the average of the top five salaries in the league at your position because you could blow your knee out at any point and your career is in serious jeopardy. If you play uh, on the offensive or defensive line, it's not likely to truncate your career as significantly as if you play a position that requires you to run a 4-4 or a 4-5-40. Linemen don't have to do that. You play wide receiver and you can't run anymore. I mean, how? look at Odell Beckham. He sat how long this year on the heels of a blown-out knee? He was en route to being the Super Bowl MVP, and then he got his knee ripped up, and there weren't exactly teams lining up for his services in the offseason. I don't go on social media during football games very often. Sometimes I'll check in at halftime to see what the buzz is. I didn't I didn't say anything or see anything, I should say, on Saturday until after the Jaguars had beaten the Chargers because I felt like I had to chime in. I couldn't wait until Monday when I was hoping I would be doing this podcast to comment on Al Michaels. And I quickly, when I was reading some of the reactions on Twitter and Facebook to my posts, found out there were a lot of other people apparently who had the same thoughts I did. If Al Michaels in his late 70s is tired of doing pro football, he should step the F away from it. I can relate to how one gets a little tired of doing the same thing when he's been doing it for 35 years. There was a lot about the job of hosting terrestrial radio I got sick and effing tired of. I only love football. I didn't want to talk baseball. I had to feign my way through, feign enthusiasm, and grind my way through those conversations, especially when the teams were god-awful. If Michaels doesn't want to do football, if he can't get it up one night a week emotionally, put down the goddamn headphones and walk away. I'm prone to dislike Al Michaels. I should say that. I'll give you that as a qualifier. I I always have found him to be incredibly arrogant on and off the air. For those of you who don't recall this, when the Bears had their one season at the University of Illinois while the great Ted Phillips was had moved them out so they could renovate Soldier Field and turn it into the spaceship on the lake for $660 million and make it the smallest stadium in the NFL. They go to Champaign, college town, little bit of a, a cow town. Not a little bit. It is a cow town. Nice university, great education. That's the only reason to live there is you're on the staff at Illinois or if you're a student at the U of I. Al Michaels says on the Monday night football broadcast, Bears and Packers early in that season, not only do they not have a four seasons in the town, they in this town, they don't have a two seasons. That's a good line. That's not what a guy who wears a tool belt wants to hear. 
come on, Al. I mean, can you be a man of the people just for a little bit and not bitch about your hotel accommodations? And it was no surprise to me because a few years earlier in what had become, I don't know, maybe a three or four year tradition, my former radio partner, Terry Bores and I would talk to everybody's favorite grandfather, Vern Lundquist, good old grandpa Vern. And for some reason, And he even didn't know what it was because I asked him after he barbecued somebody or something for the third consecutive year. We brought out the dark side of Vern that was more critical and less flowery because Lundquist, while one of the greatest voices in the game's history, never was an edgy guy. Vern was always happy to be there, whether he was at Augusta or at the freaking Sun Bowl in El Paso with Gary Danielson all those years. But we got Vern to break bad on somebody on an annual basis for three or four years. Al Michaels was one of them. He said uh, he had heard from good friends of his, Al had a tendency to dehumanize, and I'm using the word, I don't think Vern used the word, but to be an asshole to his production staff. And one one of the producers who got caught in the crosshairs was uh, was on a flight with Al and failed to bring Al's special pillow. I'm not kidding you. Al's not getting out of bed for those overhead bin pillows. Al wanted a special pillow. And I guess it was the producer's job to make sure he had his special pillow. This is all according to Vern Lundquist a few years back. And when I say a few, I mean 20. That's hysterical. More than 20. Hysterical to me. Al Michaels was so upset he didn't have his special pillow. He didn't have his pillow in Jacksonville either. He couldn't have cared less about the game in front of him. And it was a shitty game. I'll grant you that. Trevor Lawrence sucked in the first half. Four picks. You're losing your audience. You know that to be the case. But when the dude brings it back in the second half and you're witnessing one of one of the greatest comebacks in NFL postseason history and Michaels was treating it like it's a goddamn Thursday night game in week five between two non-contenders. Shame on Al Michaels for taking that check if he can't bring it a little bit better than that. That was a horseshit performance from one of the most highly paid broadcasters in the history of sports television. Al freaking Michaels, go away. No Al this weekend. Al is done for the year. Hooray, hooray. Will we get one more weekend with smiling Joe Davis on Fox? (laughs) He looks like the dude in Major League, I swear, who... um, who was dating Lynn, the love interest of Tom Berenger's character, Jake Taylor. Tom was the guy's name. That's Smiling Joe Davis. Ay, ay, ay. These cookie cutters. Not a fan. The feigned enthusiasm. The Roger Radial approach. Our Fox team that's going to do Super Bowl 57 is Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. They're all right. I think Greg Olson, for being a young broadcaster just in his second year in a booth every every weekend, has done great. But the number one guys on the network? Are you kidding? 
Really? Are they that good? And Kevin Burkhart is a very smooth, smooth-sounding Mark Shanowski. He's National Shanowski from NBC Sports Chicago. Their voices are very, very similar. Thank you for spending some time with me today. That's today's recap of Super Wild Card Weekend. I uh, have not told you about the point spreads, though, have I? Don't don't roll credits until you mention the spreads. I'm going to take the Chiefs laying eight and a half against the Jaguars. Sorry about the premature sign offulation. Uh, the total in that game is 52. That's how we get started Saturday. I'm going to take the Chiefs and lay the wood. I know it's a lot of points. I don't care. Kansas City is a great football team, and I think eight and a half, I'll take them pretty much against anybody laying a half, anybody who is not the San Francisco 49ers, but they don't play until Sunday, Saturday's second game. NFC East tilt to the Eagles, seven and a half point favorites over the Giants. Not likely going to move on that one. Total is 48 in the game. I don't like Philadelphia to get to the Super Bowl. If you've been listening to the podcast late, you, lately, you know I'm all over the 49ers. I just don't think Jalen Hurts looks comfortable at all, and I wouldn't be surprised if the Giants took him deep into the ball game and even took it overtime. I think the Eagles will win the game, but I'm not touching them at 7.5. America's team now, the Buffalo Bills, a 4.5-point favorite over the Bengals on Sunday. I'm taking the Bengals in that one. I like the Bengals as as a long shot to get to the Super Bowl and maybe even win the Super Bowl. If I get down on it today, a $100 play, Cincinnati to win its first Lombardi trophy, pays seven and a half to one. Sunday's last game, the 49ers hosting the Cowboys. That's at 530 locally. The 49ers are a four-point favorite. I believe they will handle that. And Brock Purdy will will continue to write his fairy tale script on what has been an absolutely crazy ass season. He hasn't lost yet. Mr. Irrelevant, the last player chosen in the 2022 NFL draft is just kicking ass and taking names in the playoffs, even though he had a little bit of a humbling early this past Saturday night. The Niners got it together. And uh, and took care of business. Now that you've mentioned your early thoughts on the point spreads, now you can roll the credits, booby. And uh, thanking Sam Michael, Mr. Kansas City Chief, my producer, for uh, his efforts, as well as Adam Delavitt, who brought me to uh, Bet Rivers Podcast Network. And thank you for your understanding and concern while I was uh, sidelined over the weekend. Deli, appreciate that. You are baby Capone with a big, big heart. And Al Capone did not have one. I know that because I watched The Untouchables recently and was reminded in what was one of my least favorite Robert De Niro roles in his career. Thanks for listening. I'm going to be back on Thursday with more NFL thoughts and maybe even some Bears thoughts. It was nice to go through a podcast today and not have to worry much about the Chicago Bears. Not that I ever worry, but I spend a lot of work. I use a lot of words talking about the Lake Foresters, the Flying McCaskians. Thanks for listening. Have a great week. Back again Thursday. I'm Dan McNeil. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Danny Mac Podcast on the Bet Rivers Network. If you're a tennis fan, you'll love betting weekly game bet match on the Bet Rivers Network. Whether you're a better or just love tennis, you'll enjoy the in-depth analysis each week of the tennis calendar. Subscribe to Game Bet Match today from your favorite podcast provider.